Welcome to Leadership Arts Review, a dynamic podcast about the art and science of leadership. Join us as we explore a different leadership book each episode. We will help you navigate all the theories and strategies out there and find the elements that work for you. We will share what we liked, what we learned, and what we recommend. I'm Alyssa. I'm Kate. I'm Nitya. Our book for today's discussion is Managing Transitions, Making the Most of Change by William Bridges with Susan Bridges. The business world is constantly transforming. When restructures, mergers, bankruptcies, and layoffs hit the workplace, employees and managers naturally find the resulting situational shifts to be challenging. But the psychological transitions that accompany them are even more stressful. Organizational transitions affect people. It is always people rather than a company who have to embrace a new situation and carry out the corresponding change. Directed at managers on all rungs of the corporate ladder, this expanded edition of the classic bestseller provides practical step-by-step strategies for minimizing disruptions and navigating uncertain times. So I'm really curious to hear your first impressions and what are your thoughts on managing transitions? I loved this book. I wish that I had read this book so long before coming to it. And I'm sure we'll get into why, but fundamentally he refers to Arnold Van Gennep's work, Rites of Passage, in a footnote about where he gets the language neutral zone. And I read Rites of Passage in college and have been using this as a way of thinking about coaching for the whole time I've been working with coaching and to see it applied in the organizational transitions world just made me feel like I'd come home. That's awesome. I love the book also. I was familiar with the model before through my own work. And I know we're going to get into the transition model in a bit. But I feel that reading the book put the model into a whole new light and added a lot of good context that took it from just being a model that you can introduce in a class to more exploring the psychology behind both change and transition. And I feel now that doing transition work at my work, but also just with friends or with others, there's just a lot more that I can draw from and not just have it be a plug and play formula that makes it a lot more convincing. Great. Well, that just makes me really happy that you both (laughs) like this book. I was introduced to it when I first started in a more formal program of studying change management. And the whole idea of this book as looking at that parallel track that we're on whenever change is going on, because I think A lot of us are very familiar with organizational change, looking at the stakeholders and the project plan and all of this. And the foundation of this book is really the people side of that. What's the journey that people have to go through, through change? And really that difference between change and transition. So interested to just hear your initial thoughts to how he frames that difference. The the difference that he focuses on is change being sort of what is done. The thing that's happening that is going to be different that you can look at and just see. It's there in the org chart. It's a new technology. It's what is being done. And then the transition being the psychological change 
from a person and team who does it the old way to a person and team who does it the new way as a sense of identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the distinction he makes that change can be pretty fast, but transition is slow and you have to allow for the process of moving from the situation changing to people's behaviors and mindsets and identities changing. And you can't really rush through that process. I am sure that people try <laughs> to rush People try the all process. the time. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think we've all seen it, right? Yeah. And the thing that I love that gets pointed out is the team or the organization is going through a change and the team or organization is going through a transition as well, but each of the individual people goes through their own transition that's on a different pace from anything else. So each of the people plus the whole sense of the team or organization is gonna go through a separate path of transition on a separate timeline. Yeah, this is the book I wanna give to people anytime I hear, well, we've implemented that new process, technology, product, whatever it is, why aren't they doing it? And yeah. it's that feeling of, to your point, Kate, we made the change. Why aren't they doing it? And this is when I want to say, here's something to just maybe reframe that idea of how to lead your people through change and what people need and introduce that language of transition and those three phases. So really quickly, the phases of letting go, the neutral zone, and new beginning. Yeah. And the thing I love about this book is that it's so practical. Like you can have that theoretical piece about there's a transition that people have to go through. But as a leader, what do you do to help people let go? What do you help people do in the neutral zone? What do you do to mark a new beginning in a way that lands? And every chapter has a checklist of things you can actually do. Yeah, I like that a lot. And some of them I find in the checklists are intuitive, but some not at all. I think that there are some that our listeners may read, if you get a chance to read this, where bringing people along, listening to them, getting their feedback, some of these things are fairly intuitive. But one of the things I remember seeing that jumped out at me was I love what Kate said earlier that everybody is on their their own journey and moving through the change at their own pace. And that includes, if you're the leader, that includes some of your leaders under you, your own managers. And I think often one of the mistakes that leaders make in change is just saying, well, okay, I've done all the thinking around it. I've done all the org charts under this and that. And now I'm going to hand it off to the leaders under me to then implement. But they are on their own path of change as well. And so this, so all of this, I think, doesn't just apply to junior employees who are you know, earlier in their careers or maybe new to the company. It, it applies to every single human, even the folks in your organization who are maybe very tenured leaders too. It's everyone. So that was just an example of one where I love seeing men go, yeah, that's such a common, I think a common pitfall that we see. Yeah, and one of the things that he talks about is by the time the leader who's decided that the change needs to happen is handing it off to the next level down to sort of work on the implementation plan. That leader has gone through the transition. Like yeah. they've not yeah. just done the change, they've done the transition. And they're saying to the next level down, okay, start the transition. Exactly. And so the timeline is completely offset. Yeah, it's a little bit from a leadership perspective, it's a great reminder of 
meet people where they are and realize that a lot of times with some of the change, and in this book, they talk about mergers and, and really big changes where you know due diligence and research has been going on for a long time. So to your point, if you have, people have considered the change, had a chance to get used to it, have created plans around it. And then I love the checklist around what are you asking people to let go of? Yeah. And even the suggestion that jumped out at me this time that I didn't remember as well was, are there ways to compensate for what you're asking them to let go of? And just putting that intention into understanding what you're asking, because I think the other reason that we skip that so much is that we're selling the new shiny object. Mm -hmm. We're, We're trying to get people on board with the future and skipping that part about what we're asking them to let go of is a really important part. Yeah. Yeah. There's an element in which convincing them that there's a problem you're trying to solve with the new transition is an important part. So rather than selling the solution, actually selling the problem and getting buy-in that there is a problem that needs solving could be a way of handling that. Yeah. There's stuff that often gets skipped that whatever is happening, there are things that are going to be lost. Some people are going to lose autonomy. Some people are going to lose a sense of ease around things that they have been doing for years. Some people are going to lose a position in an org chart. Some people are going to lose things that you might not be able to articulate. I was on a team and it was back-end operations for electronic funds transfer for a big bank. And they automated what had been a manual process. And there were a few permanent staff and then a bunch of temps. And the temps were all going to lose their jobs over this one. Like the positions were going to go away, but the permanent staff were unlikely to. The reason all of the temps had been needed was that the paper form that the front end clerks were using didn't have enough spaces in it to fill out the number of transfers between banks that needed to happen between New York City and some of the third world countries we were sending money to. And the creativity of how to fill in the form so that it actually got to the person who was inputting it into the computer in a way that it got inputted in was something that the staff people, some of them were like, I'm just going to become a robot now. Yeah. When it got automated. And they were losing this moment of creativity and it was tiny and it was inefficient and it was exactly what the company was trying to get rid of because it was inefficient, but it was actually something that made the people feel competent. Yeah, I think what you're pointing to, Kate, is this concept that he outlines called intangible losses. And I think leaders get so used to thinking about loss as tangible and in dollar terms or or in terms of time and hours and such. So, so quantitative measures of loss, but this kind of loss, loss of creativity, loss of autonomy, loss of just stability uh, are equally important, uh, if not more important. And that's why the, this names of the stages matter so much when you call it endings, neutral zone, and then new beginnings. The fact that something has ended and something has been lost is itself going to be revolutionary for some of the people listening, because we don't even stop to think what that is for most people. And loss is subjective, as he says, and it's what feels like loss for someone. It may not register for us the same way, but it's no less legitimate. 
Yeah, there's something there about even creating a little ritual, depending on what it is. And one of my favorite examples, which I cannot take credit for, it was a colleague who did this, was helping a group move from a G drive, move from sharing their files and things on a shared drive to a SharePoint site. So it was Mm -hmm. technology implementation. And they actually gathered for a happy hour and they toasted the G drive and they (laughs) thanked the G drive for its service. And it sounds so silly, but psychologically, there just was something about bringing the group together and kind of going through that ending all at once and acknowledging that it was an ending. And I think for me, one of the themes throughout this book that I so appreciated is this idea of articulating things and making them explicit throughout the entire process. So don't pretend that this isn't happening. The term that he uses of transition deficit was really really, great. If you don't pay attention, it's just going to kind of build up. And then each time you're trying to ask people to go through change, they're just going to continue with this transition deficit and you have an even more difficult time. Yeah, I, I love that concept and I have an example of it too from a role I had several years ago where I sat on a team for which the leader of the team kept changing. The most senior leader of the team would leave and they'd bring somebody else in and leave and bring somebody else in and leave and move someone else in from somewhere else. And as you can imagine, that created a lot of insecurity on the team. And I think with transition deficit, the thing that was maybe lost on some of the folks involved in making the decisions around those changes, didn't realize that here was a team of people who had been working here many years and had seen so many leaders come and go and hadn't had that chance to honor the past in the, in the way that Alyssa describes, whether through ritual or just being able to process it out loud, we just hadn't been given that chance. And so each successive one felt worse and worse. And so I remember hearing the question around like, not in so many words, but hey, why is this such a big deal? I mean, people leave organizations all the time, like leaders move on all the time, that happens. But that's because they were looking at the most recent departure as one isolated incident, which it wasn't. It was five years of a lot of instability that that built up and just made us frankly question a lot of things not just you know are we next and that very kind of you know survival thing but more just around hey I mean how where can we find the motivation to keep going if this is going to keep happening and that was the stuff that's like invisible and intangible but but very real yeah I mean the thing that's so interesting is that leaders change all the time is a truism There are leaders changing in organizations all the time. But you're talking about an example where the leadership is changing frequently. The other thing that happens all the time is you've had one person in leadership for 20 years and they stepped down and they step aside. And the new person who comes in spends the next five years or two years or can't even get past the next six months competing with the ghost of the leader who's already (laughs) left. That's a really good point. Nithya, something you said, I used to joke when I was in consulting that I wanted to create a shock collar whenever a leader said, oh, that's no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that is just, it's just a warning light of a pitfall. Maybe it's not, but at least let's, let's look at it and determine if it's, if it's a big deal, a medium deal, a small deal, but 
chances are it is some kind of deal that needs some attention. Yeah, it probably means that's complicated and hard and I don't want to look at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good point, good point. Can we talk a little bit about the neutral zone and the opportunities and just what you thought about how the neutral zone was described? So I've been thinking about the neutral zone a lot recently because I feel like in terms of pandemic management in North America, we're in the neutral zone. Mm -hmm. Um, At least in Canada, that we've sort of had an ending, the way of life before ended, and we know that we're going to be managing pandemic until we're not managing pandemic, which is going to be some period of time. And then there'll be some way out, but we don't know what that looks like because we don't know where we're going from here. And it's sloppy and messy and hard to stay in and exhausting. And there are people who want out as fast as possible. So in terms of good leadership, the ability to keep people in this sort of open-ended place for long enough to actually get through all of the pieces that need to shuffle through in order to find what the new beginning is, is actually incredibly difficult. And normalizing that and setting up sort of temporary systems to manage it, he talks about. And I love, I'd never thought about a transition monitoring team. He talks about being able to put in a team whose only job is just to report back on the status of the transitioning. Not about the change at all. Just keeping tabs on where things are is so powerful in terms of being able to keep people in. Because you don't have a new identity yet, there's the opportunity for creativity. Absolutely. But that, as you said, Kate, that requires staying it requires hanging on (laughs) and often staying and staying in is the hardest thing in the neutral stage. And and I'm glad you're bringing up the challenges around the pandemic because absolutely it's chaotic. And some people just are, and this is described in the book as well. Some people uh, during the neutral zone are kind of desperate to to run back to the ending zone and stay in those emotions. Run, run back there and, and be angry again. And, and some are like, well, I'm done with all the ambiguity. Let's just move forward. And so the challenge is, is to have people stay here. And one of the concepts that jumped out at me about the, the neutral zone a lot was that old weaknesses reemerge. That was something I remember from the, from the book mm-hmm. and how in this period of waiting as the, the new behaviors start to develop, sometimes we can fall into our, our old ways. And I, for one, as a leader, as a professional, I'm definitely seeing that in myself during this neutral zone, that old insecurities, <laughs> old patterns are cropping up because we're in this kind of a holding pattern. I find myself grasping to anything for certainty. So the neutral zone requires patience is, is the takeaway for me. Yeah, he uses the metaphor throughout the book of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and then 40 years in the desert before getting to the promised land. And there are a couple of things about that that really struck me. And one of them was that we can look objectively at slavery in Egypt and think, well, leaving that was a good thing. And yet, as they continued to trudge through the desert, there were times when the Israelites said, maybe we were better off. Cause you do, you right. lose your perspective. Yep. You lose your perspective. So that idea of the wandering and the uncertainty, which we 
we've already brought up a couple of times and that memories of things. I think we have a way then of putting rosy glasses on the past sometimes. The other thing that I thought was interesting that he talks about people actually getting sick during the neutral zone. In the same way that these weaknesses or insecurities can crop up, just kind of our whole threshold lowers. It's just a time to really pay attention and support people through that. Yeah, and yeah. He, he pretty explicitly says during this stage, lower the bar for productivity and celebrate the small wins, which are things that I think we all probably regularly forget to do because we're so caught up in everything that's going on. And, and I appreciated that that was so explicit, that you can't expect people to be operating at top productivity during this. It, it would, it's wrong and unrealistic to do so. So actually lower the bar and provide support in the form of celebration where possible for every step taken forward. Yeah. I mean, I remember right at the beginning of the locking down of North America and everybody being told to go home, somebody who was a little more on the ball than I was said to me, expect your productivity to be about 50 to 75% of (laughs) what it was two weeks ago. And as soon as she said it, I was like, of course. But I, ha- I was actually sort of in full-on pivot mode <laughs> and going ahead because when I get stressed, one of my bad habits that shows up is workaholism. Yeah. And so there I was, boom. And the other thing that has been crucial for all of my clients through this is the little tiny wins. The, the times that they get through all of their personal daily, like these are the things I want to do to take care of myself pieces. Just so simple. Yeah, and within organizations, sometimes the pace is so fast that we're always like, okay, great, check that, what's next? Mm-hmm. What's right next? next? And the, the idea that we have to slow down through these transitions in order to speed up when we get into the new beginning, especially if the transition takes a while, that can be really hard to live with. It also made me optimistic to hear about looking at the chaos of the neutral zone as such an opportunity for creativity. That's what makes it worthwhile. Adopting the change you hope will make it worthwhile, but the fact that there's room for more possibility than just the change that was imagined before gives you an opportunity to really take advantage of the chaos. Because once your identity is dissolved a little bit and you're not hanging on to all of the habits around that identity, that piece about, oh, what do we want to be? can emerge. Yeah. Makes room for that. Exactly. I love that you're sharing that, Kate, because it's pretty amazing to, to just fathom how much a certain way of life or way of working becomes part of our identity. Sometimes even if it's counterproductive, (laughs) not necessarily serving us, we get so attached and the process of dissolving that identity, as you so nicely put it, can be painful. Even when someone on the outside looking in can clearly see that the change is going to be better long-term, but it is still a very personal letting go that has to happen in a lot of cases. And if you're not used to going through that process, it feels very destabilizing. Yeah. One of the things that I like about the book is that after having sort of gone through the whole process once, then there's some material about what about 
ongoing constant change and managing because the modern world is so fast in terms of the pace of the constant change. And I know in my own life, I went through a period where every change felt like it was a wrenching thing. And then at some point I got used to the process of changing and I would feel that ending starting to happen and be like, oh, it's ending time. How do I mark this? And then what's coming up now? What do I want to play with? Where's the new? Oh, this feels like it's settled. But it took going through change with some self-awareness several times, many times before that started to feel like a process I was comfortable with. And most organizations aren't used to going through that process organizationally that fast. I hesitate because I know that the agile methodology, which was developed in software development specifically for managing continuous change, has spread as a sort of management style and is getting adopted more. And and that's actually specifically designed for dealing with this issue of constant change. Two things as you were talking that that made me think of, just imagining the picture of the model with the curved lines. So the fact that, yes, we're talking about these three phases, but it's not, okay, you know what? For weeks one and two, I'm gonna be in endings. And then (laughs) week two to five, I'm gonna be in the neutral zone. And then at week six, I'm going to hit new beginnings. But that idea that it's really kind of one giving way as the other one grows. And also the fact that you can be in the midst of multiple changes. Yeah. Yeah. And you can really be in the neutral zone of one thing when you're at the letting go and ending phase of something else and even really starting a new beginning of something else. So to your point, Kate, just understanding that model and bringing that understanding to yourself and that awareness and that compassion to yourself that this is what's going on and for the change to really make an impact this process has to happen yeah and then from a leadership perspective how do you support your people yeah i remember getting a question from a client once around this model. And this client was a very experienced senior leader who said, well, this is great and all, but I've been through so many changes in my personal and professional life that I just go straight to new beginnings. I don't even go through the first two stages. Like I got this. (laughs) And that's an example of that subconscious going through of the first two stages where she didn't even actually realize that mentally, physically, she was actually processing an ending, being in the neutral zone of new beginnings. She was really only aware of the new beginning stage. And and perhaps because she had been through so many changes, she had in a way perfected her own way of going through the first two stages to where she wasn't even aware she was doing it anymore. And that sometimes happens to senior leaders to where they then don't understand, well, why is it taking my team so long? Because they they've built that muscle over time. In looking at new beginnings, and I found this interesting too, that this model of the four P's was specifically in the new beginnings section. And the four P's are saying what you need to provide people with is a purpose, the picture, the plan, and a part to play. What did you find most useful about that? Well, I love that it's got all four parts. So many people talk about sort of one or the other or one or more because the different pieces are more or less important to different people. People who write about it often write about the part that's important to them. (laughs) 
So purpose, for instance, there are all sorts of books about your why, your mission, your purpose, whatever language you want to use about it. And many of them don't talk about planning at all. (laughs) And they sort of assume that once you've got your purpose, then your planning is going to happen. And for some people, that's actually true. And for some people, it's not true at all. And then they need to actually work out the plan. And there are some people who are like, if you give them a purpose and you tell them what part they're going to play, they can go. And so the idea that you need all four for the team and that most people need a little bit of all of them, if not all of all of them, is a lovely way of countering the tendency to give other people what you would need if you were them, if you, if you were yeah. in their role. Yeah. Because it's so easy to be like, well, if I was doing that job, this is what I need. So this is what I'm going to give all my people who are in that position. Agreed. I And I want to touch on something Alyssa said, which is that these four Ps are placed in the new beginning section. Yeah. I have definitely seen clients of mine, leaders who maybe without even realizing it, do all four Ps and, and really think they're being very thoughtful about it and, and are putting in a lot of effort into trying to, to manage people through change. But they start the four Ps during the ending stage at the very, very beginning. So just as soon as the change is announced and the news has broken and people have started to process, so pe- the team's entering the ending stage and the leader's like, great, four Ps, right? why, here's how it's going to be, here's the plan, here's your role in it, here's what the new beginning looks like. And they genuinely think with the best of intentions that that's going to help folks. But the whole idea with these three stages is that these four Ps are, are great, but they're not going to resonate, not going to have the impact that they would have until people are in the new beginning stage and ready to hear it. When folks are in the ending stage, that's not what they need at all. They're experiencing something totally different. It's a whole different internal emotional process to where plans and all that is just, it's going to fly out the other ear and, and, and maybe even create some resentment. <laughs> Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about, about selling the problem. And that was a great reminder because similar to what you were saying, Nithya, my feelings a lot of times is, okay, this is where we need to go. So it's really important that everyone understand the why right away. Yeah. (laughs) And I think they're just flipping that a little bit in terms of it's still a why, but it's the selling the problem. The why is about the problem. And then when you're in the new beginning, it's a different, it's a different way of looking at the why. And people need, to Kate's point, people need different parts of it. So it's kind of some people need the why, some people need the how, some people need the the what, and some people need the what about me. And I like that it's comprehensive in that way. And then Nithya, what you're saying, I think it's actually a challenge. It challenges my thinking and it makes me want to go back a little bit and look at the differences between traditional change management and then bringing this idea of transition into it and being aware of when are people ready to hear different messages. Right. And sometimes you can hear that they're ready just by listening well. I'm thinking of a leader that I have been coaching who is, their team is responsible for sort of wrapping up a legacy product and they're starting to support the transition to a new product, but their job is wrapping up the old thing. And at a certain point, they'd wrapped up enough that they started feeling like they were working themselves out of a job. And at that point, they needed to know that there was a part for them to play in the new system. They didn't need to go there 
there yet, but they needed to have a vision of how they were going to be used afterwards so that they had the morale to keep wrapping up what they were working on because they didn't have any interest in working themselves out of a job. <laughs> yeah. None of us do, right? That's a great example. <laughs> They provide a lot of quotes throughout. Was there one or two that really stood out to you? Could you have just done without them? What's your reaction to all the quotes that were used? I like them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just, it says more about me than anything. Probably I'm a sucker for just quotes. <laughs> I like when the wisdom of an entire concept or chapter is boiled into one nice little sentence that I can then use later. So, so. <laughs> So I, I personally liked that a lot. And, and I liked so many, it was hard to, to pick, but I can call it a few. I, I liked something that was shared in the organizational renewal section, where I think the quote here, I have it written here was, there's really nothing developmental about most OD. It's really just organizational repair. The quote kind of questions the word development and organizational development. This is actually just organizational repair. And I, I find that interesting because it, it ties to what we said earlier around the, the transition deficit. And they're all kinds of such deficits in organizations. There are culture deficits and technical deficits and all kinds of situations where organizations are, I think, making up for <laughs> and, and correcting past behavior. And so, so much of the work that I think coaches or other organizational development people come in and do is, is try and fix that. But I think the concepts shared in this book would, would try and help leaders get ahead of that and be a bit more proactive. So there isn't quite so much repair to do later. And so that, that one actually really resonated with me because of how reactive some of the change management and, and organizational development tends to be. And some of that is always going to be there, but to the extent we can be more proactive and anticipate some of this stuff, I think we can correct for that. I'm a quote junkie too. So <laughs> I love the quotes and reading a book like this, when somebody uses quotes that I'm familiar with or from people that I already like, I feel like a little tingle of excitement. So there's a Tom Stoppard quote in here and there are a couple of an Anais Nin pieces and I'm just like, they're my people, I love them. I actually think that there's something really practical about having access to these quotes that are thematically chosen for these topics because they're a lovely way of naming for your people where you are in the process without be it necessarily being explicit. So if you had the quote in the bottom of your signature in your email for a week or two, when it was in this phase and it was relevant, it could just be a way of dripping into some people's attention. This is where we are in the process I love or that, idea. that sort of thing. And so I just love that if you have access to that, you have a resource you can use to offer to people for whom a quote or a metaphor might be a way of normalizing wherever you are. The specific quote that I really liked because it speaks to the patience issue so much and the timing issue is there's no squabbling so violent as that between people who accepted an idea yesterday and those who will accept the same idea tomorrow. <laughs> I had that one highlighted. I, it wasn't my top one, but I definitely had that highlighted. I do. I love that. It just goes back to what we're talking about, about people need to get there at their own pace. Yep. And they're going to fight it until they're ready to hear it. And yep. as soon as they've heard it and they've got it, why are you so slow? Yeah, exactly. Because once yeah. you're there, it seems so obvious. <laughs> and yeah, because he does say in the book that the, the people who are the most successful, are the most comfortable in one stage of transition are the ones who have the hardest time in the next stage because of that attachment. 
And sometimes the people who have the hardest time getting to the next stage become the champions of that next stage. Yeah. Because they are so invested in it because they put so much work trying to get there. And they will probably be the same people who drag their feet the next time you need to make a change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you ask them, you ask them, okay, so what are we going to let go of that people are going to miss that we need to find a way to honor, right? What's valuable about what we've created that we want to make sure we don't lose yeah. as we go through this transition? One that stuck out to me, because as we're doing this and we're talking about all these different books and we're talking about, okay, so how do you, as a leader, integrate this into your behaviors and it can get a little overwhelming. And this one quote to me was more simplified way of looking at it. And it's the one that says, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. Mm. And I feel that I work with a lot of people who want to learn about influencing. How do I influence? How do I persuade? And I think that the model of the four P's is very influential. At the same time, when we talk about just even understanding this process and being able to express it to other people, how can you be an example of the fact that transition and change are different? How can you be an example of this understanding and even an example of the vulnerability or the example of trust? So that one really stood out to me as a way of kind of crystallizing things. And then there's actually not a quote from the margin, but something I highlighted that I want to quote from the book itself, which is this sentence, it is never too late to become an organization that manages its people well. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's something that we as a group, the three of us are kind of always championing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Pay attention to the people and it doesn't matter where you are, start from where you are. And there's always things that you can do. There's always ways you can bring that people side into it. Too. I love that. It, it gives some hope, I think, for anyone listening who feels like they work at an organization that's really entrenched in their ways or really big or has a pretty set leadership tone or style. If anyone listening feels like that, well, there, there's, there's always a way to shift things to be more people-oriented or more inclusive or more thoughtful, even in small ways. And while I think we all know that many things start at the top, I think one of the things this book highlights is the fact that you can't just rely on things to be trickled down. It doesn't work that way because every single individual in the organization is a human with these needs. And so you can do this in your own way. And if you manage a small team of four or, or whatever it is, you can start these practices. It's not, it's not too late for you. <laughs> and now it's think away time. Each of our hosts will leave us with one thought, idea, question, or practice to think about and take away. Okay. My think away for our listeners. Well, it's very moment in time because as we talked about earlier in our conversation, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. So my think away is, is kind of a challenge to each of you to step back and think about where are you in the stages of transition? And if you are a leader who leads other people or works closely with other people, where might they be? So that it's kind of a challenge to step back and do the inner work around where you are and get curious about where your team is and, and check your assumptions about those as well. That's my big takeaway. So mine is really along the same lines, which is to think about 
where are you and or the people that you lead in transition right now? And when you're in that transition, what needs to be let go of and how can you best encourage creativity in the chaos of the neutral zone? Love that. Mm, yeah. So I'm going to go in a slightly different direction, which is that these transitions happen in so many scales in so many parts of our lives. And I would invite you to think about the transitions that you go through in your life that are small. How do you have an ending, a neutral zone and a new beginning at the end of a work day or uh, at the beginning of the day or the end of the day? How does this pattern actually show up in the moments of your life in small ways? Great. And now to put this book on the tree of leadership wisdom. Is this book at the roots, foundational knowledge? Is it the trunk, main body of practical wisdom? Or is it branches and specific tools? So I think I would put this in the trunk. I think that this is a really solid framework for thinking about something that happens over and over and over again. And I would suggest that you need some of the foundational pieces about who to be as a leader and how to show up in order to implement this well. And that the checklists are useful, but there are so many tools that you could use to actually implement this, that what's really powerful about this book is just getting a sense of what these big picture phases are in transition. I uh, can I just plus one that because I think Kate summed up exactly what I was thinking. I think the power of this book is the model itself and the three big stages and the concepts associated with that. And I appreciate the tips, but the big conceptual chunks are what stay with me. Trunk. Well, we're unanimous on this. And <laughs> that may be the first time, folks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and similar to what you've said, yeah, there are checklists but I don't see it as here's your transition manual, bring this list out. The reason that I brought this forward for us to discuss is because it was definitely that practical wisdom that you can layer over everything. It's an additional lens to look at things and say, well, what's going on from a transition standpoint here? And what's the transition lens? that we need to pay attention to here. This was Leadership Arts Review. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review wherever you find your podcast. You can find more information and additional resources on our website at podcast.leadershipartsreview.com and continue the conversation by following us on Twitter under leadership underscore arts and Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn under Leadership Arts Review. Leadership Arts Review is a Four Impala production. Music adapted by Four Impala from Nathaniel Wyvern's Sanctuary of the Sky Gods under license. Thank you.